Welcome to Eat Well, Travel Better, the Business of Food Travel podcast with your host, Eric Wolf. In the next 30 minutes, we will help you to become a better industry professional with inspiration from some of the world's most successful people in our food and beverage tourism industry. With each episode, you will meet these leaders and examine their secrets of success. You will hear about the obstacles and challenges they have faced, along with their solutions and triumphs, and be inspired with ideas for many of the same business issues that you may be facing as well. And now for today's episode. Welcome, I'm Eric Wolf, your host for episode 47 of Eat Well, Travel Better, the Business of Food Travel podcast. And joining us today is Nuria Ribera. Since she was a young child, Nuria has always been curious about people from other countries and their cultural differences. She was fascinated by people who spoke different languages, yet she was still able to communicate with them. Then as she grew older, Nuria met more people from more countries and realized that her passion, as well as her gift, was the ability to communicate well with others. Now Nuria communicates with people from other cultures using one of the world's most popular foods, chocolate. Welcome, Nuria. Well, Nuria, it is so nice to meet with you. I hear wonderful things from one of our ambassadors in France. And I I would like you to tell us a little bit about how you had your Eureka moment, because I think you you did what a lot of people think about, where people are not really happy with their jobs, and then they do something about it. So tell us about this, this moment that you had and how you got into the chocolate industry. Okay, thank you. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me. It's a big pleasure for me to share some of my experiences. Well, about the Eureka moment, I decided to switch jobs. I was, I was sitting, actually, I was in, in Paris. I was sitting in my friend's apartment. And then I thought to myself, uh, what am I doing working something I don't really feel like I'm, I'm happy and, and fulfilled me somehow? So that day earlier, I had stopped before to an exquisite chocolate shop there in Paris and brought home with me a small little piece of chocolate. In my rumination about my life, I took a bite and the taste explored in my mouth and brought me back to my work at Cacao Sampaca, where it all starts, Spanish company, where I worked years before. And I had felt so much joy and fulfillment. I realized at that moment that chocolate and concretely a communication about chocolate is what I really want to do. That was more or less the Eureka moment for me. So how do you turn chocolate into a career? Just because you had that Eureka moment, the flavors exploded in your mouth, you were excited about chocolate, but how did you turn that into a a job? I mean, it all started, I was was hired by a local company in Spain called Cacao Sampaca that was back 2005. And they taught me all about, I was at that time, I was working as a communication manager. So they told me all about, they actually taught me about what's the chocolate industry. They teach me how to eat properly the chocolate through tasting sparings. And I, I, at that moment, I was, as I said, a communicator, basically, especially international field. So after a couple of years working for another company, I realized that managing like both of my interests, one side communication, another side chocolate and cacao world, I, it could combine to become a job which is actually what we are doing now. It's in a company called Chocolat, where basically we communicate all about the world of cacao and chocolate through tastings, pairings, workshops, etc. When I explain to people what I'm doing, it's like a kind of a chocolate sommelier. Everyone gets a bit surprised. But after I explain what I'm exactly doing, I think they understand and 
increasing the knowledge that people would like to know more about this, this field. So that's why we decided to create that company and turn it into a, a job. And are you doing these, these tastings and, and things like that just in Paris or is it something you can do all around the world? I start in Paris uh, after quitting my previous job. And then I moved back to Barcelona, where is my born town, where I, I, I was born and raised. But then in my mind, I always thought that I would like to achieve a ref all around the world, worldwide. Tastings and workshops in Japan face-to-face, in, in London, in Paris, in Ireland, in many places, Madrid, Barcelona. But uh, due to COVID, what happened? So we managed to rebuild the business into uh, online tastings. So last year, actually, we were sending chocolates and organizing tastings and pairings all over the world. Can put you an example, like with HP, we send chocolates to Korea, South Korea, and uh, passing by all through Europe and arriving also to US, meeting in a special hour that we can all be online at the same time. And it was really, really nice, I think. It was really cool because it was a team they couldn't even meet, obviously, back then. So how do you do a, a chocolate tasting online? Do you send them the chocolate ahead of time? Exactly. I mean, there are several different ways to do it. In one side, we can contact a local provider so they manage all the sending, the logistic, which is actually the most tricky thing. Or I can send it from where I am based, actually in Barcelona, Spain. Then we arrange one day, like now us, uh, through a Zoom link. And then we have the people there at the same different timings, obviously, but at the same time online. It's obviously a bit a bit harder to keep the inform the attention of people, but at the same time, I think it's a really nice way to to enforce these links and this uh, between all the people. For instance, like people who work around the world or even families. Back this Christmas, we organized several several meeting Christmas meeting between granddads and children and parents. They couldn't meet due to COVID, so we organized to do it online as well. So it was a really nice thing to do, I guess. Had you thought about expanding online before COVID hit, or is that something that just came out of COVID? I thought about that before. I'm also we are doing investigations to another techniques like virtual reality and augmented reality. And I thought, because I used to work a lot remote before the COVID, I thought, why not? I mean, there is something that can be it's a way to solving the fact that some people are not located in the same location. So why not? So I thought that. And somehow I think the COVID just gives us a little bit more of uh, we had to do it because we, we lost completely since March 2020. We lost all the jobs. We lost all the incoming for seven months. And uh, we had to find a different way to do it. But we already have it that in mind before the COVID. So how can you use augmented reality or virtual reality in your business? <laughs> well, this is actually something we are developing. But in my mind, it's to make feel people even more the sensation of being, for instance, in a cocoa plantation or in a factory, in a chocolate factory. While we are um, talking, we are talking about the process. Our tasting starts with history, starts also willing the history with the, with the city we are located, which is a lot behind. And then also we explain about the manufacturing process and how it's made it from the bean to the bar and obviously on the plantations. 
But at the end, which I think it's increasing a lot, uh, the importance into the process is about the five sense tasting or the mindful eating concept. And it's, it's growing a lot. People want to need to feel more present, more connected to the moment. And through the food, I think it's a very, it's a very nice way to do it. Actually, I'm gonna, at the end of this year, I'm gonna do a workshop talking about how I learned to eat healthy thanks to chocolate. This sounds very interesting. You could start the virtual tour at the cocoa bean plantation in Ecuador, mm -hmm. perhaps, mm -hmm. and you could meet the, the people and then you could take them to the processing factory mm -hmm. and they could see how things are done. And then you could uh, take them to a, a, a number of different chocolate stores and how the chocolate is transported, how it is presented in those stores. So in Belgium, they do it this way. In New York City, they do it this way. In hot climates like Spain, we do it this mm -hmm. way. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then you could actually go into the that actually is fascinating because you save people all of the time, all of the cost of all of those different trips and mm -hmm. how and you there's no way that you could. I mean, you would need two weeks to take someone to all of those different places and, and at least ten thousand dollars to do it. And now they could do it 90 minutes for a fraction of the cost. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think presential things cannot be. It's not a something you can change. It's obviously a very interesting thing to do, but in terms of being pragmatical, the experiences, the virtual reality, it brings you experience. You are experimenting this in yourself. So it's the way that it's proven. It's the way to learn better, more much, much better than just listening or just smelling. So yeah. through this, we can arrive much farther. And as you say, it's more pragmatical for many people that otherwise couldn't be able to join, to go to visit a cacao plantation or a manufacturer, a chocolate manufacturer, etc. So we are trying to give that to as much, much people as we can. I think there are endless possibilities on this field. There are. One of the blessings that came out of this crisis was that disabled travelers, whether they have physical disabilities or mental or emotional disabilities, now have many more options available. And it's actually a very large market, the people who have some kind of a disability. That was something I, th I think that a lot of, of tour operators and mm -hmm. hoteliers and tourism offices in our industry didn't mm -hmm. realize that... Mm -hmm all of these these people before who really didn't have that many options now have a whole lot more options. It was exciting. It is actually indeed. It is very exciting. And now you talk, you mentioned about people with disabilities. I would like to speak as well one of another projects we have related with uh, Alzheimer disease that we organize several chocolate tastings uh, presentations face to face with a, a person who had, uh, a, a pro I mean, he had Alzheimer in early stages. And it was really amazing when all of a sudden, because we were touching his feelings. And then he all of a sudden said, wow, I remember when I was a boy and my grandma gave me this piece of chocolate. And I thought, wow, this can be really interesting to go. Actually, we have several studies talking about this, the relation between chocolate and illness like Alzheimer and also the benefits to use it also through virtual reality. We're working on this now. That is really interesting. I also had a thought about this because I know living in Barcelona, you're very sensitive to the idea of over-tourism, too many tourists coming into your city and taking over everything and also changing 
the face of Barcelona, where they offer foods that are not normal, like the paella, which is 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 from Valencia. And now mm-hmm. you, you people get off the cruise ship in Barcelona, and you can find paella, but it's not native to Barcelona. Yeah, but maybe now the idea of augmented and virtual reality could help to reduce the number of tourists, which could actually be a good thing. I think it's a good idea. I think I think. Uh, as I mentioned sometimes, I don't think it's only a question of reducing tourists, but try to increase the quality. I mean, I think everyone wants to have people from abroad and show to them our culture, food, etc. But we want people who care about this, like everyone else, I guess. And I do believe that through uh, new technologies as virtual reality, uh, they it would be much easier because now you can even visit Taj Mahal from home and not only visit it, you can feel it, you are there. So imagine this is a way to introduce cities in a very touching way to the public and tourists in general. So yes, I think we have to work a lot on that direction. And actually I'm, I'm looking for people also who are interested in this business. This is actually extremely profound because when you think about it, a tourism office now needs to become a technology company. Mm-hmm. So that they can help the local providers to make these tours and and distribute the tours. Um, how do you how do you write a script for a virtual reality show? Right? How do you put that together? How do you film it? How do you what's the technology behind it? How do you distribute it? And yeah. all of a sudden, a tourism office needs to solve these questions. Yes, it's true, but that's the future. I think some people think like new technologies haven't been good because we take us from meeting and speaking to each other, but it's like everything. You need to take the right balance into talking, meeting people, and also using the the new technologies to maybe virtually meeting. And I think it has a lot to offer, Mm -hmm. but we need one of my concerns is like uh, sometimes we prefer the easy came out instead of trying to look for something better, and maybe it might take us a bit longer. So I think that's one of the key points from, from Barcelona, from many other cities, that they are really, in fact, we need the tourists. We see what happened last year in Barcelona, so in um, Paris, etc. So we need it, but I think we need to change the model of the way to introduce uh, tourists. Because I also think it's a, it's a, it's a lack of knowledge People don't know that, for instance, Barcelona was the place uh, it was introduced, Cologne introduced to the king and Catholic king and queen in Barcelona. So it was the first place in, in Europe. And not even people from Barcelona know that. It's a shame, don't you think? Absolutely. Well, you were talking about quality versus quantity, and I'm just thinking, now there's a couple things that could happen here. First of all, if the number of people coming to a destination is less, then is that going to be just for the rich people who can afford to travel? You know, they have the COVID passport, they can afford the plane tickets, they can afford the hotel. And so that's one thought. The second thought is if so many less people are coming, then what happens to all the hotels they're building? I don't agree in the fact of like wealthy people are the people very interested into the most cultural aspects. Definitely wealthy people have more ways to organize and definitely have more advantages. But I think we also can contribute to increase the tourism, look, um, direction it into the people who are interested about the culture of the food, of the place, 
of the, you know, the, the local costumes here, the local way of living. So I don't think this is something only for wealthy people. I think it's for people who really want to, to travel and to investigate places in a different way, not just, mm -hmm. okay, paella, sun, beer, and beach. <laughs> but I was thinking more if, if travel, if more and more people are doing the virtual thing and mm -hmm. travel stays expensive. I mean, right now the cost of travel is double what it was two years ago. Yeah. Um, I, I have a trip coming up to the United States in um, next month and it's, it's gonna cost me almost $10,000. Yeah. With yeah. airfare, two, two, two flights, car rental, hotel, everything. And, and you know, this would have been half of that two years ago. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't afford to do that. And, and I, you know, on a regular basis. And I'm thinking probably a lot of other people can't too. So maybe if they can't afford or don't want to spend that, then they have other options available to them, namely the mm -hmm. augmented and virtual reality tours. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then does that only leave the rich people coming to travel. Yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. I don't know exactly. I haven't, unfortunately, haven't traveled much lately. Only went to Paris last month. But uh, yes, I see that there is a changing of the people who are coming to the places. But probably uh, thanks to the new technologies like virtual reality or augmented reality, people are going to be more able to, to go and to have the experience from other countries being at home, which I think it's also great because you can do it at the first time that someone else is in, a friend of yourself, it's in the other side of the world. Mm. So you can all join together. This is actually what I did on all this COVID time. I was meeting people from that I don't have, maybe I've seen them even more that I've, I normally, because we had the time to meet and we really loved it. A friend I have in Australia, in Ireland, UK, etc. So I think it's the time to, to in incorporate all these technologies and use them the best way to promote from, from cities, from countries, from industry, tourism, food, culture, etc. Very interesting. Yes, I think the time has come. Knowing what you know now at this point in your life, what would you have told a younger version of yourself and, and saved yourself some of the time and, and hurt of, of growing up? Well, not sure if I'm entitled, <laughs> but I think I would say keep trying, never give up, but not at the point of being stubborn. Rather, I would explain to my younger me that life is about making mistakes, unfortunately or not. In fact, for me, it's the only real way to learn that. I mean, when you do, when you make a mistake and then you need to understand a different way to do it. As I said, uh, when we talk about virtual reality, we learn best through experience. So that's the way we have to, to learn, I believe. Good advice. And then fast forward to the future. What kind of legacy would you like to leave behind once you're no longer with us? Well, <laughs> it's very deep <laughs> question. Hopefully it's, it's many decades <laughs> in the future, but. Thank you. Yeah, hopefully. Um, so if I were to leave a legacy, I would say mm, be yourself. I know it's a very typical topic to say that, but uh, I do believe that. Be authentic, follow your instincts and have respect towards others as well for food and culture in general. I think we should respect much more all we have around we should have a better appreciation for fruit, 
how it grows, how so many have known and be grateful for what we have and mindful of how we eat. With respect, I mean, in my personal, my personal feel, with respect to cacao and chocolate, I would want to leave behind the idea that it's a food of the gods. It's actually their name, like scientifically, mm. food of Teobroma cacao. It's also, for me, a constellation of things, feelings, traditions, and culture. And I always work that people learn to respect that. It's not just it. It's not just food. It's something else. So you were talking about respect, and that is actually the topic of one of our Food Travel Talk TV shows last year. And I was quite surprised to see that that particular show did not have a lot of attendees. It seems to me that respect is an issue and that it's actually a problem that we don't have enough respect. But what's your opinion? Do you think that respect and having enough respect is a problem in business today and in life? Absolutely. I think it's very linked to the lack of culture. When I say to culture, I'm not saying about degrees or university. I mean more about education. And again, respect to others. When I held the chocolate tasting, I cannot even eat the chocolate <laughs> because for me, it is something so much pressure. For me, I'm only an instrument to arrive to people, to give them my, my passion, my love, my respect towards this food. And that should be respected because there are many people like the farmers, they don't, sometimes don't even have enough to live. We have things in first world, bad cult, I think, first world. We have many things for guaranteed, but this is not how it is. So that's why I think I link the respect towards the food, the respect towards the others in terms of education. It is, for me, very, very important. And that's why, when I, again, I said when I held these, these tastings, I try people respect what they're going to have. And actually, it tastes different. It's curious, but it's true. When you have respect, when you have kind of, I wouldn't say admiration, but you are taking care of what you have. And it's not like you're eating in any way. You try to make it a bit as a ritual way, which is obviously you're not going to do it all the time, but it's important to do it or at least learn how to do it. Yeah. I think that a lot of people are concerned about the respect for the environment right now. I think some people are concerned about respect for other people right now, but Mm -hmm. I I would like to see more respect for others. I still think that it's something that's forgotten about, or what you'll see is that people will put the spotlight on or they'll focus on a particular group. So Mm -hmm. maybe they'll focus on black people or Jewish people or gay people or whatever it is, whatever Mm -hmm. the, the group is, but really everyone deserves respect and everyone should show respect to everyone else, regardless of what your skin looks like or what you believe. Definitely. I mean, that's why when I turn into these taste things, I really, for me, it's very important. Like keep the people listening. Don't come there. If you want to come with your mobile, just go there with a mobile, but I'm talking, I am talking, (laughs) listen. And I I, I make them to listen. Of course, I'm not pretending to be my job it's it's making something funny and interesting but at the same time i respect them and i ask the same towards me and towards the job and the food i know what you mean sometimes i give talks and when people have their phones on and the phone rings uh-huh. and, and the phone continues to ring uh-huh. I, I suggest to them that maybe they should answer that and i'll wait for them <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I've been pretty lucky on that. It's very, very rare cases of people because I told to them, look, if you don't, I mean, for me, it's not a problem. It's a pity for you. I already know how to do it. I'm here doing all this effort for you. Yeah. It's not for myself. So if you prefer, I mean, it's for me. I only, I, what I only try to do is someone just get a bit more than what they have before. That's my, my only intention. Well, and you're giving your time and you're giving your passion and your knowledge. So we want to learn from you. You're the expert. So, you know, let's, let's focus, focus on you. Normal people in, in general, they keep the attention. And of course, I, I, I put myself depending on the kind of group I have. So I, I need to be flexible as well. Of course, of course. So what are you reading right now? And what, what is your favorite book? I'm reading about, <laughs> I love story. My father was a historian. So I'm reading about one related to biography regarding actually from uh, Roman <laughs> military. I really like to read about biographies. But my favorite, my favorite book, uh, it's actually, uh, it's called Wheel of Steel. It's an antique book that my father gave me a long time ago when I was a child. It explains the story of a brilliant wealthy student and his best friend who comes from a more humble beginning and does not have the intelligence of his friend. The both attend very prestigious boarding school and the story tells about the importance of effort. But what really stood out uh, for me were the dreams of the humble student when he failed his exam. He dreamed about a gentle night that was a representation of will and that also was guided by a blindfolded and beautiful lady representing faith. So the moral of the story is that faith is blind and guides your will. <laughs> so it's, this is one of my more inspirational and favorite books, but I have many. Okay. All right. And on that note, let's, let's uh, wrap up with a, a favorite quote of yours. And you said you like biographies and mm-hmm. you're reading about wars and generals and stuff. And you have a quote from George S. Patton. Yeah. Would you like to share that with us? Yeah. As I said before, I like a lot of story, especially military story. I mean, I really love this quotation because it also talks about the effort and it says, who bleeds, uh, sorry, who sweets more in, in training, bleeds less in battle. Basically, be prepared. I mean, the luck came to you when you are prepared, when you are (laughs) trying, trying, trying and practicing. Not, as I said before, not to be stubborn, but don't give up. Yeah, good advice, I think, just to be prepared be prepared in the best possible way and to rehearse and and think about your questions in advance so that you come across as being professional and thoughtful and and the expert that you are. Well, thank you. It was a real pleasure for myself. Anytime I can talk again about, obviously, my my thing is chocolate, but it was a real pleasure for me to share that with you all you. Well, for for me as well, um, you brought back some wonderful memories of a trip that I had to Ecuador a few years ago. Uh And there's some some of the best chocolate I've ever had in the world is from Ecuador. And you can't Uh really find those chocolate brands outside the country. And I I can't wait to go back because they had a a chocolate that had lemongrass in it. Uh Um, Uh Have you ever had that one? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, forget, I forget the brand name that it was, but it was the, their Ecuadorian chocolate with lemongrass, and it was just unbelievable. Could be Pacari, maybe? Pacari, that was it. Yeah. Pacari, yes. It's very known. It's very known. I actually can give you lots of tips about good chocolates from all around the world. I'm not going to say here which are my favorites, but after I can send it to you. <laughs> okay. All right. That sounds good. Well, Noria, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And I look forward to meeting you one day in person. Of course, whenever you want, I'm here and happy to meet you. And thank you. It was really my pleasure.
Thank you as well. Thanks for listening today. The Eat Well, Travel Better podcast is brought to you by the World Food Travel Association, the world's leading authority on food and beverage tourism. Our mission is to preserve and promote culinary cultures through hospitality and tourism. By doing so, we empower local communities and entrepreneurs with the knowledge and tools needed to reach new food lovers and gain a competitive edge. Founded in 2003, now we shepherd an annual community of 200,000 professionals in more than 150 countries. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And you can learn more about us, subscribe to our newsletter, and join our family at worldfoodtravel.org. Until next time, eat well and travel better.